A lot of the criminal violence that we see around us is actually because of conflict and is even moralistic in nature. Oftentimes, the criminal that we learn about is someone who has been wronged, or they have at least perceived that they were wrong, and therefore they are doling out their own brand of justice in some way or fashion. This is largely why things like the legal system and juries of our peers, for example, have been created over time, so that we can judge the guilty as guilty, and we can judge the not guilty as not guilty as well. Technically, continuing on that chain of moralistic justice. This week we're going to look at a case where you could see some signs of that, even if the guilty parties never admitted to the crimes and even said that they were not bothered by the social injustice that came before the crimes that now see them in prison. One of the most common causes of domestic abuse and assault is infidelity and cheating. That is where this week's case begins, but it certainly ends in a sad and terrible way that very well was justice on some level that did not fit the crime. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 121 of Gone But Never Forgotten, an affair that turned into 30 years in prison, the disappearance of Heather Elvis. Heather Elvis was born on June 30th of 1993 in Horry County, South Carolina. Heather was the eldest of two daughters to Terry and Debbie Elvis. She has one sibling, a younger sister named Morgan. Heather graduated from St. James High School in Merle's Inlet, South Carolina. If you listen to the family and anyone that knew the Elvis family, they were a family who always got along and lived in harmony. The family was always said to have been tight-knit and a family who believed in doing the best for one another and the best for the family as a whole at all times. It has been said that Heather was the closest with her father, whom she texted and checked in with daily and always stayed in contact with. When Heather graduated from high school, she decided that she wanted to move out of the family home, and she wanted to move in with Brianna Worrellman, who was her longtime best friend, and her parents approved of that idea. Heather had always been an independent, bubbly, life-of-the-party type of girl, and this was the logical next step for her, stepping out on her own, away from her family. And so, she moved into an apartment with Brianna in Carolina Forest, North Carolina. 
At the age of 20, Heather was working at a Scottish-themed restaurant that was named The Tilted Kilt and was located on Myrtle Beach. Heather was also studying cosmetology because her lifelong dream had been to become a full-time beautician. Brianna remembers that Heather would move heaven and earth to see that dream come to fruition, never allowing anything or anyone to get in the way of that or really any of her dreams. After she had settled into that phase of her life, it was a chance meeting at the Tilted Kilt that would set off a chain of events in her life that we are sadly about to talk about. In June of 2013, Heather was working the day shift at the Tilted Kilt, and while she was there on shift, she ran into and met a man named Sidney Moorer. Sidney was at the restaurant because he owned his own business repairing appliances in the Myrtle Beach area, and he just so happened to be working at the Tilted Kilt on that day. Sydney was 37 years old, so 17 years older than Heather, and he was also a married man with three children. By all accounts, Heather was completely smitten with Sydney from that very moment, and she even looked to social media and took to social media to share that on that very day. She posted on Twitter, quote, I got a taste for men who are older, unquote. She also made many posts that were seemingly sexually charged, and she said that she was directing her comments toward a man at her work who came in to fix things. Clearly, she was talking about Sydney. Sydney clearly enjoyed all of the extra attention that he was getting whenever he came to the Tilted Kilt from Heather. Obviously, he enjoyed the attention that was coming his way from the much younger woman, and employees even said that Sidney started to frequent the kilt more and more as time went by. He even started to show up when there was not work to be done on the appliances. Sidney and Heather, chatting and flirting with one another, also became a more and more frequent occurrence and something that started to be noticed by Heather's co-workers. By July of 2013, if you go by Heather's social media accounts, it appeared that things between Heather and Sydney were starting to escalate. Heather's Facebook status changed from single to in a relationship, and she posted on Twitter, quote, I'm in way too deep but watch me get in deeper, unquote. And she also posted, quote, baby did a bad thing, unquote. Both of those Twitter updates would come on July 11th of 2013. By this time, most of Heather's co-workers were aware of what was going on between Heather and Sydney, and people, as they do, began to talk behind their backs. Heather's co-workers talked a lot behind her back, and they also had many names that she would be called because she was knowingly having an affair with a married man who had a family. To say that her co-workers were starting to turn on the previously well-liked young woman was an understatement. Suffice it to say, there are not too many people out there who will have respect for someone who is having an affair. 
As August came around, Sydney was seen even more at the Tilted Kilt, almost daily at times. He would bring snacks and treats for Heather, and he would even park out back of the restaurant and wait for Heather to finish her shifts, and the two would leave the restaurant together. Heather started to talk at that point more and more with her co-workers, as young women do. She would talk about things with Sydney, and she even said that Sydney had mentioned hiring Heather as a full-time nanny for his children, so that they could be closer together at all times, and under the nose of his own wife. One can only imagine the disgust that a story like that would be met with by most people. It's certainly one thing to have an affair, but to even have a discussion about having one so brazenly under the same roof as Sidney's wife was incredibly insensitive and really a bad look all around. The two were constantly in contact, though, through text messages, and the two would get together in strange and remote locations so that they could have sex, and that happened on many different occasions. Heather and Sydney had learned a game plan that they believed would keep them from getting caught by Sydney's wife. If they were having sex in remote locations, that certainly meant that there was far less of a chance of being seen and therefore caught. Sydney mentioned at times to Heather that things were not good between he and his wife, Tammy Moorer, and that he was thinking about leaving her altogether. Heather's friends tried to warn Heather that this was classic in any case where an older married man had an affair with a younger woman, and they tried to warn her that he was likely all saying all of those things to sweet-talk her and to string her along. In the end, Heather started to realize that having a relationship such as she was having with all of the sneaking around and all of the hiding that was needed was not necessarily something that she wanted, nor was it a good thing for her. It was taking an emotional toll because she knew that things between her and Sydney were not progressing, and she longed to have a relationship that she could share with the world, and she also longed to be in a relationship where things didn't need to be a gigantic secret. One can only imagine also that she was becoming more and more aware of what was being said by the people that knew about the affair. It's not hard to understand that things were likely taking a massive mental toll on Heather. By September 21st of 2013, Heather was clearly having second thoughts about absolutely everything with Sydney. She tweeted, quote, once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well, unquote. Things, though, did not get better. They, in fact, would get much worse. Tammy, who was Sydney's wife, found out about the affair between Sydney and Heather, and she called Heather to confront her. Tammy told Heather that she was just a booty call for Sidney and that any of the promises that he had made to her were fake, and he only intended to use them to string her along so that he could keep having sex with her behind Tammy's back. One has to figure that Tammy was echoing many of the things that Heather had been told by her friends about Sidney. 
If there were second thoughts, surely she was now looking to get out of the situation that she was in altogether. Tammy would then put Sidney on the phone with Heather, and he would proceed to tell Heather that she meant absolutely nothing to him, and that she was just a woman who was willing to spread her legs for him. Brianna overheard that entire phone call, and she said that that way, she said that the way that both Sydney and Tammy were speaking to Heather was very difficult to hear, and that they were very crass. Brianna said that from there, it seemed that Sydney and Tammy worked incredibly hard to tear Heather down and belittle her, so that Heather would feel worthless. For someone who was already struggling within the confines of the relationship, this made things infinitely worse for poor Heather. That behavior continued as the clearly dominant Tammy made the decision that after she found out about the affair, she didn't simply want to end things between Heather and Sydney, but rather, it seemed that she wanted to completely destroy Heather, her entire life, and everything that was a part of her life. She became consumed with destroying Heather as a person. It also came out over time that Tammy was a very dominant and domineering person within her marriage with Sydney, and that Sydney was an incredibly submissive person to Tammy in seemingly all regards. It was reported that Tammy started to handcuff Sydney to their bed at night so that he could not leave the house without her knowing, and she also started to make Sydney take her everywhere that he went. Further, and perhaps crazier than all of that, she also forced Sydney to get her name tattooed on his lower stomach, positioned right over his groin so that if he did sleep with anyone else, they would certainly know who he belonged to. Tammy sounds like a woman scorned, but a woman who was very comfortable being demanding and commanding, and commanding everything that she wanted out of everyone within her life. Showing that she was not content to just have the affair ended, Tammy did continue to make Heather's life a living hell. Tammy started to call the tilted kilt relentlessly in an attempt to get Heather fired from her job. She would call Heather from Sydney's phone, and she would send photos and videos of herself and Sydney having sex in an attempt to drive Heather completely mad. Her plan was working. Heather would send a text message to Sydney's phone saying that she was losing hours at work because of Tammy. She was begging Sydney to get his wife to leave her alone so that she could move on with her life. This would continue on, though, even into November, with Tammy texting all the time and harassing Heather at every turn. She would even try to demand that Heather tell her where she was at times, seemingly wanting to ensure that she was not with Sydney, And she would tell Heather that if Heather did not tell her where she was, Tammy would find her on her own, and they would meet in person. She said that things wouldn't end well if she made Tammy find her by herself. As you can see, Tammy was constantly threatening Heather in every way possible. Listen, 
I understand being wholly upset if you find out that your spouse is lying and having an affair, but there is a point where you are borderline insane, and I feel like Tammy, months later, was way across that line. Heather tried responding to Tammy's texts by saying that she was not someone that Tammy needed to worry about anymore, and that things were completely over and done with between her and Sydney. She pointed out that she felt that Tammy was obsessed with her, and Tammy also needed to move on with her life. Eventually, near the end of November, it seemed that Tammy was going to leave Heather alone. It had been roughly two weeks since the last text barrage from Tammy, and Heather was trying as best she could, after everything she had gone through, to move on with her life. She had fallen in love with Sydney, a married man, and she believed all of the things and all of the sweet nothings that he had said to her. However, she also hoped that she could move on and now learn from those experiences. The reason that things went quiet, though, was because Sydney, Tammy, and their children had gone on a three-week road trip out of town together between November 19th and December 11th, and Tammy had stopped harassing Heather while she was on that trip. That, mixed with the fact that Heather had landed a dream job of hers working at a makeup salon, started to make Heather feel as though perhaps the tides were starting to turn in her favor, and she was going to be able to put all of her mistakes with Sydney behind her. She was scheduled to start work at the salon as a beautician just before Christmas. There was, however, a problem lurking in the background of all of those positive things and positive changes and positive thoughts. Heather had started to gain weight, and people around her started to believe that she might be pregnant with Sydney's baby. Co-workers said that Heather's bra size had gone up three sizes on top of the weight gain. Heather had taken a pregnancy test at work with the help of one of her managers, but the test came back inconclusive. It came back with an error message. From all of the eyewitness accounts, it does certainly sound as though Heather was indeed pregnant, though, and Brianna would later say that, to her knowledge, the only person that Heather had been having sex with at the time was Sidney Moorer. Through all of that, with those fears, Heather tried in earnest to move on with her life, and she even set up a first date with a new man in early winter of 2013. He was someone that she had been conversing with online for a short while. His name was Steve Schiraldi. On December 17th of 2013, the two would get together and drive around Myrtle Beach talking and looking at beautiful Christmas displays at the homes there together. The two then went to an empty parking lot and Steve started to teach Heather how to drive stick shift something that she had never learned and never done before. Heather, for her part, was very excited about this, and she even sent photos to her father and to Brianna celebrating the fact that she had just learned how to drive stick for the first time. 
Steve would then drop Heather off at home around 1.15 a.m. after the two had made plans for a second date. Around 1.45 a.m., Brianna was called by Heather, and Heather said through tears that Sydney had called her. Brianna asked Heather why she answered the phone. Both had been hoping at that point that Heather was ready to leave all of the garbage with Sydney behind, and Heather told her that it wasn't his phone number that was used, so she had picked up the phone because she didn't recognize the phone number. Sydney had evidently told Heather that he and Tammy had separated, and he said that he wanted to see Heather and that they were going to be free and clear together. Brianna said that she told Heather not to see Sydney because she was finally moving on with her life and hopefully she was moving away from that entire messy situation. Brianna told Heather that she was happy again and that she was acting like herself a small bit again. She told her to go to sleep and to sleep on it and deal with the situation the following day. On December 19th, though, things took a dark turn in this case. Police in Myrtle Beach were dispatched to check out a suspected deserted vehicle, a green Dodge Intrepid, that was located at Peachtree Landing along the Waccamaw River. It was a deserted and quiet riverside area that was located about 8 miles away from Myrtle Beach. Peachtree Landing was a place for small boats to launch and be received, and it was at the end of a long and nearly deserted road, way off the beaten path for most people. The Intrepid was locked, and police ran the vehicle in their database, and they found out that the car was registered to Terry Elvis, Heather's father. Officers then went to Terry's home to do a wellness check and let him know about the Intrepid. When Terry was unable to reach Heather, he went with the officers to Peachtree Landing to see if they could figure out what had happened. He unlocked the car and officers searched the vehicle. The car was parked very haphazardly and not in a spot, so Terry first wondered if the car had actually been stolen. Police, while searching for the vehicle, were unable to find Heather's keys, Heather's purse, Heather's identification, or Heather's cell phone within the vehicle, and so they started to be concerned for Heather's well-being. Terry tried calling Heather again, but it went straight to voicemail. He then called the Tilted Kilt to see if Heather was there or if anyone knew where she might be. Heather, though, was not at work, and nor was she scheduled to work at all on that day. Terry told police that this was all very out of character for Heather, and he was starting to become very concerned. Police did not believe that the vehicle, the river, nor Peachtree Landing were crime scenes, though. There was no evidence to show that there had been any kind of struggle whatsoever. A missing persons case, though, was opened right away regarding Heather Elvis. Searchers began looking in the area around Peachtree Landing, and divers were sent into the Waccamaw River to search for evidence and comb the area there. That search spread out throughout neighboring counties, and the public joined in as well. Everyone was hoping to find the young woman.
People searched by boat, on foot, on ATV, on horseback, and even in the air. If there was a way to help look for Heather, it seemed to be employed within this search. What was first realized and released to the public was the fact that Heather had gone missing after a date. Police were trying to figure out why Heather had left her apartment again after being dropped off by Steve. Investigators also said that there were no obvious signs of any struggle at the apartment itself. While the search was going on, there were human remains found near the boat landing, but analysis would show that the bones belonged to a male. One can only imagine how horrible that would be for a family to be called regarding remains, only to find out that they did not belong to their loved one. That's just another kind of bittersweet roller coaster ride that the families of victims seem to endure a lot. Unfortunately, and not for lack of trying, nobody was able to find any evidence of Heather, any evidence of foul play, or any leads whatsoever within this case. And so, investigators were forced to try and piece together anything that they could. They started to track Heather's movements as best they could, and Steve was brought in, of course, for questioning. Steve, though, was quickly cleared of all suspicion in the case, and he was released, no longer a person of interest in the missing case of Heather. While rewards were being put out and investigators were searching for any hope in their case, people were shocked when Tammy Moore went on social media and talked about her situation in an awkward and, frankly, insane diatribe. She posted to Facebook, quote, Well, Sydney cheated on me in the months of September and October with a psycho whore who has since went missing and now her crazy daddy is threatening to kill my children and Sydney, therefore making Sydney stupid. This girl grabbed his business card out of the office at her workplace and had fantasies about him as far back as March but talked about it in July, naming him. I don't know of any other word to describe my husband at this point. All you have to do is research this girl's Twitter, although four months of it has gone missing in the past couple of weeks, and her Tumblr to see what a twisted person she truly is. I could care less seeing that I had a boyfriend of my own over the past couple of years, but when someone brings my children into the scenario, it is a whole different story. I will not tolerate anyone hurting my children because my husband banged a hoe three times in the backseat of her car and nothing more. I could care less what he screwed around with, but the fact that this jerk is stalking my family is unacceptable. Unquote. Holy crap. I mean, if people didn't already think that there was a possible connection between Tammy and Heather being missing, that crazy-ass post certainly raised some eyebrows. This seems like an incredibly stupid thing to post, if you ask me. You have a story that's literally all over the media, and a story that is about a young 20-year-old woman who has gone missing, and then you have Tammy. 
This woman takes it upon herself to put Heather, her father, and everyone on blast. This is not a good look at all, but there is a part of me that believes that perhaps that post was also by design. Maybe she thought that investigators couldn't possibly believe that she was that stupid to post something to that effect if she was indeed guilty of anything. Then again, maybe she was just stupid. On December 20th, after Brianna and her and other employees at the Tilted Kilt told investigators of the affair, Sidney was brought in for questioning. Sidney was evasive, and he denied being anywhere near Peachtree Landing on the night of December 17th. He even said that he had not had any contact with Heather at all, even though Brianna had said that Heather had told her that he had called. He even strangely used the alibi of him driving around in his new truck with Tammy so that they could have sex in public places. He had evidence of that, he said, because they had videotaped themselves on their phones. Investigators immediately believed that Sidney was lying through his teeth, and they set out to try and prove that. They started to track the phone records of Heather and of Sydney, and they started to have a break in the case, finding that Sydney had certainly had contact with Heather in the very least. This is another one of those things that I will never understand. There's not much point in denying that you had contact with someone via cell phone in this day and age. Cell phone records are something that the police are able to ask to see, and in this case, Terry, Heather's father, was very willing to check those call records and pass the information along to investigators. Sidney was proven to be a liar quite easily. On the morning of December 18th, Heather had received a call from a phone number that she didn't know, as Brianna had told investigators that Heather had said. The phone number that had called her was traced to a public payphone. That call lasted for approximately five minutes, and Heather had tried multiple times to call that phone number back because she did not know that it was actually a payphone that Sydney had called her from. Heather actually tried to call that payphone number back nine different times. That proved to that proved that she was trying to contact whoever called her, which everyone believed was Sydney. The phone booth was outside of a gas station in Myrtle Beach, and security cameras would show that someone was using the payphone at the exact time that Heather had received a call. The footage, as we're all used to by now, was grainy, and you couldn't tell much about the person. Investigators asked, uh, asked Sydney if it was him in the video, and he denied it at first, and then changed his story. He quickly backtracked and said that he had called Heather from the payphone with only one intention. He said that he had told Heather that she needed to move on and leave him and his wife alone. Tammy would then later be brought in for questioning as well, and she of course categorically denied the fact that she had anything to do with the disappearance of Heather. In her interview, Tammy would tell investigators that she didn't care about the fact that Sydney had had an affair. 
She said that she had an open marriage and that she didn't care if Sidney was sleeping with 100 women. She said that him having sex with someone didn't bother her in the least, especially to the degree that she would try to hurt Heather, or worse. Tammy did, however, then go on to throw Heather under the bus and say that it was clear to her, just by looking at Heather's social media, that something was wrong with Heather. She said it was very clear that Heather was asking for trouble. Tammy, like I said earlier, is a piece of work. First, she takes to social media and blasts a young woman who is missing. Then she tells investigators that she could care less about the affair, even though they had explained and shown explicit text messages and evidence, and witnesses had also said that she had harassed Heather. Finally, she talked too much, something that seems is all too common around people who commit the most heinous of crimes, and seems to even try to lead the investigators to realize that it was in fact Heather who was crazy in this situation. It seems that she was trying to cast shade in a situation where, frankly, that was the worst thing that she could have possibly done, in my opinion. Investigators, of course, pressed on. They started to get their hands on any security cameras that they could, and they managed to track Sidney's truck to a local Walmart not long before he had called Heather from the payphone. While he was at Walmart, he had purchased a pregnancy test. Sidney told investigators that the pregnancy test was not for Heather at all, but that he had purchased it for Tammy. Trail and home cameras that were along the narrow road to Peachtree Landing, though, also picked up Sydney's truck, driving towards Peachtree Landing around 3.36 a.m. on December 18th of 2013, and then picked up his truck heading back in the other direction approximately 10 minutes later. Investigators said that the truck on the security footage was 100% identical match. To Sydney's truck. Investigators now believed that Sydney was the last person to speak to Heather before she went missing, and investigators believed that he was also the last person to see her at Peachtree Landing. In the time after the phone call from Sydney at the payphone, along with Heather's attempt to call that number back, she had tried to call Sydney's phone numerous times. She attempted to call Sydney's phone multiple times, but every time that she tried, there was no answer. After some time had passed, she attempted to call Sydney's phone again at 3.25 a.m., and this time the call was answered, and there was a four-minute conversation. At 3.37 a.m., Heather's phone was pinged and showed that she was traveling in the direction of Peachtree Landing, and then again at 3.38 a.m., Heather, was, Heather made three attempts to call Sydney's phone, but again, those were to no avail. That is within 10 minutes. Between, that's within the 10 minutes that were between when Sydney's truck was heading towards Peachtree Landing and when Sydney's truck was descending from Peachtree Landing. At 3.41, there would be one more phone call attempt by Heather that went unanswered. And then one minute later, at 3.42 a.m., Heather's phone was seemingly shut off. 
Just moments before Sydney's truck was seen leaving Peachtree Landing. Investigators would receive a search warrant for Sydney and Tammy's home after they started to piece all of the evidence together, and they would find out that Sydney and Tammy had disposed of their crime of their home security system on December 20th, and they had a new one installed a day later on December 21st. All of that just days after Heather had gone missing. If that doesn't scream guilt on some level, I don't know what does. Investigators were unable to retrieve the former security system, nor the older footage. But they were able to watch the footage from the new home security system, and boy did it show some interesting things. It showed Tammy and Sydney scrubbing the passenger side of Sydney's truck, furiously, and then burning the rags so that they could not be discovered or cleaned. Finally, on February 21st of 2014, after two months of investigation, it would be announced that there was a break in the case, and the break was something that was expected by anyone who was following the case and who had details of what was going on. Sydney and Tammy Moore were arrested in connection with the disappearance of Heather Elvis, and they were also charged with kidnapping and murder even though there was no body to determine that Heather had actually been murdered. Investigators were hoping that the murder charge would buy them a little more time to try and uncover evidence, and they also hoped that the evidence that they had and the murder charge would, be, would make either Sydney or Tammy talk and disclose some information, like, for example, what had happened to Heather and where Heather's body was. Unfortunately, neither Sydney nor Tammy were speaking at all, and no further evidence was uncovered to decipher what had happened to Heather after she made the trip to Peachtree Landing. Therefore, there was no evidence to carry the murder charges against Sydney nor Tammy, and the murder charges were subsequently dropped. The kidnapping charges, though, remained, but with no murder charges, both Tammy and Sydney were able to post bail and return home to wait for more information to come about the case. A gag order was also placed on everyone and on the case itself to keep everyone quiet and keep them from putting things out into the media or out on social media. That tactic, however, did not work. Sydney and Tammy both went to social media, and Sydney even went in the media and did an emotional interview as they tr both tried to change the narrative by saying that they were innocent and that they were being framed by someone. In Sydney's interview, he, was, he even acknowledged that he could not speak about the case, but he did take the time to point out how he and Tammy, being implicated was taking a toll on him and his family. This man got in front of a camera, cried his eyes out, and complained that he had lost almost everything. He said that he couldn't even find work or another job because everyone believed that he was a kidnapper and a murderer. 
Sidney also said that he couldn't believe how mean people were being to his family. He even went as far as to erect signs on his yard that said various things like, Where's our protection order? And, Take pics, post it, and help change harassment laws. Now, don't get me wrong. I've spoken out in the past on this podcast about the fact that social media and the internet are awful places and that people are super tough behind screens that they have at home and they will say and do things that are absolutely dreadful. And yes, that also goes for people like Sydney and Tammy. However, I think when there is mounting evidence that you have had something to do with the disappearance of a woman, you probably shouldn't be out in front of cameras and trying to make the narrative about yourself. Sidney vowed that he would continue to fight and to fight the charges against him because if he went down for kidnapping or if he went down for murder, that meant that someone who had actually kidnapped or murdered would continue to be out on the streets and nobody would know. Because of his fiasco uh, that clearly spit in the face of the gag order, Sidney was sent to jail for five months for being in contempt of the court and in contempt of the gag order. Meanwhile, Tammy, ever a wizard with words, said that she felt as though she was going to be crucified for the lies that were being spread about herself and Sidney. Sydney would get out of jail after two months served for good behavior. Sydney would then go to trial in 2017 for obstruction of justice charges, and this time he was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in prison after a three-day trial. In October of 2018, which was now six years after Heather went missing, Tammy would have her trial, and she was ultimately found guilty of kidnapping and conspiracy. It only took the jury two hours to find her guilty on both charges, and she was served a 30-year sentence for each crime to be served concurrently. The day after the trial for Tammy, Terry was in court for obstruction charges. Again, this is Heather's father. The defense team said that Terry had confronted one of them in the washroom and that Terry had verbally accosted them and cussed them out. The two sides were not to have any contact whatsoever. Terry admitted to the interaction but said that he had not verbally attacked anyone. He said instead that the defense attorney had used a washroom that was on the side of the courthouse that was set aside for the Elvis family. He was found guilty and charged $400, which he said he would pay, even though he did feel that the charge was largely misguided. In September of 2019, Sidney would have a retrial for his kidnapping charges that the mistrial had happened in previously. Sidney would also be found guilty of kidnapping and therefore sentenced to 30 years in prison. Sidney continued and does continue to say that he was innocent and that he was unable to give Heather's family closure. He said that he would give them closure if he could. 
All appeals have been thrown out and overturned in this case of Sydney and Tammy. Sadly, Heather's family, though, are still left with little to no answers, as neither Tammy nor Sydney have talked about what actually happened on that night, even though they have been convicted. Heather's family continues to hold faint hopes that Heather will one day return home, and they've said that even though they truly cannot believe that, after 10 years that Heather will come home and they will see her alive again, they will not entirely let that go until something changes within this case. The family and the community work together to make a community garden at Peachtree Landing to honor Heather and to help ensure that the memory of Heather and this case would stay alive in hopes that someone, somewhere, whether that person is behind bars or not, will come forward with information about what happened to Heather after she met up with Sydney at Peachtree Landing on December 18th of 2013. I, of course, come alongside the entirety of Heather's family and friends and investigators on that plea. If you're out there and you have any idea what happened to Heather Elvis or, frankly, any missing person, please reach out. There's no time like the present for you to come forward and share what you know. Nobody can begin to imagine what it is like to live every day of your life wondering. It is very evident that Sydney and Tammy had something to do with this case, if not everything. And thankfully, they are in prison and will be there for at least most of their lives. However, there really won't be any rest in the spirits of anyone that knew Heather until Heather is returned to her family in some way, shape, or form. On December 17th of 2023, which just passed, that was the 10th anniversary of Heather Elvis's disappearance. One can only hope that, that some kind of peace and closure will come in some way, shape, or form for everyone that's involved here. And I think that that is all that is left for me to do, is to thank all of you goners again for joining me this week for another sad episode of GBNF. If you like the show, please give us a follow, a like, a review, or whatever you can to help this show in any way, shape, or form. Follow us on social media and spread the word. One thing is for certain. We are all in this thing together. So... The bigger that this community is and the bigger the reach that we get hopefully means that we can help spread the word about cases and stories like this one and play a small part in their resolution. We can all be better. Take care and don't forget to come back next week for another episode of Gone But Never Forgotten. <laughs>